Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you to continue our series uh, called Hope is Here. And uh, thank you to Brother Nixon for an excellent job last week bringing the word. And uh, we're going to continue in that vein. And then also next Sunday, we will be sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with, with people uh, that are coming to, to celebrate Resurrection or Easter Sunday with us. So, so excited for that uh, next week. General question, what is hope? What is hope? If you, had, if you had to define hope, what would you describe it as? If you had to tell somebody what hope was? And the answer to that, just a general definition used in the uh, New Testament context, was that hope was a desire that expected to be fulfilled. Hope was a desire that expected fulfillment. Hope it has an emotional element to it. It has a a movement inside of you. When you hear about something exciting and you want to latch on to it, you hope. You have an emotional reaction to a positive future. Hope is a desire that expects fulfillment. A couple of uh, some of my favorite um, Bible commentators said that hope is the expectation that something now future will become present. Something we're excited about in the future will come into our present. That's what hope is. So, I want to share a little story with you. And, and of course, being Palm Sunday, we're going to read in the text of the triumphal entry coming up here in a minute. But I wanted to share a brief story with you about hope. And we were fishing off of a pier into the ocean in South Carolina. And you can't see it, but all around the pier, these little sharks are swimming. Like four to eight foot sharks. Okay. And... Um, what they would do is they would swim around the pier because people would catch these little fish and then they weren't keepers so they'd throw them back. And when the sharks heard that splash sound on the water, they would all like fight for whatever just hit, hit the water, okay? And so there was one time where uh, him and I over the course of four or five hours we caught 17 fish and it was just an amazing time. And he's got one on the line here. And so we'd throw him back and we'd be like, oh, go free, go free. And he'd hit the water and one did get away, but a lot of them... We're fed to the sharks, so so you can't see, but there's sharks all around here. And so sometimes people would snag sharks on their line, and uh, that was just a cool cool story. But but that's the context. We're 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 fishing out here off the pier, and uh, my son, you know, he casts one out there, and we've caught little fish all day, and he casts one out there, and it's like bending the pole. These are big poles; they're heavy poles. And it bent the pool so much that I had to take it from him because I didn't want to lose it into the ocean and pay whatever that fee would be. And uh, we're just running these, you know. So the pool is bent way over something really heavy on the line. And let me tell you what, if you've ever fished before and you're line and you're catching all day and then it gets real heavy and you're bringing that up, and oh boy, you talk about hope, you talk about excitement, you talk about a desire that expects fulfillment, I mean, you just can't wait. Now, you know, it's, it's dark down there in the water, and so we're pulling it up like this, you know, pulling. I took it away from him. You ever see those guys on TV? They lean into it and then pull back. Now, I've never done that. I don't really know how that works, but I did that that day. You know, I was getting real into it and, and reeling back like that. Well, this is a public pier, and so a crowd starts to come around us, right? So now we've got like 15, 20 people come swarmed around us, 
And now the hope is collective. It's not just me. It's like people can see on the end of that line, hey, something's coming up. This is going to be a moment. People have their phones out. They're talking. They're calling, hey, come and see this. And, and we are just so excited. Our hope was that we had caught some cool ocean creature on there. And about five minutes in, you know, I noticed that after I pull and then go back in and pull, there wasn't any pull back from whatever was on that line. So either it was timing up its grand escape, or somebody said, maybe it's a giant stingray, because giant stingrays just kind of sit there flat on the bottom, and they, they don't want to be pulled up. So instead of swimming, they're just heavy, and you got to pull. And so I was like, well, maybe, hey, if it's a stingray, that's, you know, at least I want to bring it to the top of the water so everybody can see it and clap and have this big experience and this great memory on the pier, and they can all go home and tell their family what they saw on the pier. And, and I can get a picture of, of it with my son. And, and so here was our hope. So about 15, 20 minutes, this is playing out. Now, I want to read a scripture while I pause that story for a minute, okay? Pause. Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope, in the hope of Christ and the work of salvation, in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Now this is referring to, to our, our new life in, uh, in heaven, our new bodies, and the second um, groaning for the sons of, of God to be revealed, okay? So this is not that we haven't been saved or have relationship with Jesus, but this is the fulfillment of our salvation. This is the promise. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, but we hope for that day. We hope for that second coming in our life with Jesus in heaven. In this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. So here's my son. We're fishing. We're filled with hope. We're filled with desire. We can't wait for that thing to break the surface. 20 plus people on the pier. Filled with hope. Waiting to see something really cool. And let me show you something real quick here. <laughs> what my son had caught was an old fishing net that had caught a bunch of other fishermen's weights and they had cut their lines so many times. There was about 20 uh, one-pound weights on this thing, okay, that were all meshed together like this. And we pull this up and break the surface and everybody's just looking like, what, <laughs> what is that? What kind of ocean creature is that? Well, it wasn't a creature at all. So our hope, uh, once it became visible, our hope turned into kind of disappointment, right? And isn't that sometimes like life? Have you ever hoped on something turning out a certain way and it did not turn out that way and your hope turned to disappointment, didn't it? And in life, the more times that we put our hope into something and it doesn't turn out the way we wanted, the more cautious we are to then engage hope, aren't we? Because hope is a desire that expects fulfillment. Now we know our hope is in Jesus Christ and we know our ultimate hope is in His second coming because of the resurrection and our new life with God in heaven. That's our ultimate hope. But what about the daily hope? What about the Christian hope? What about the transformational hope that we have in this life? To see His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What about all of those hopes, the micro-hopes, the hopes for our family, the hopes for our career, the hopes for the uh, next generations behind us, the hopes for our lost friends and neighbors and co-workers and family members? What about those hopes that have sometimes been pulled up and revealed as disappointments? 
The enemy loves to work with that. Sometimes we have an experience like this in life and we say, well, I'm never fishing again. Or I'm never talking to a coworker again. Or I'm never going to put my heart out there again. Or I'm never going to trust a leader again. Or I'm never going to fill in the blank. Because we were so filled with hope that hope came up as a disappointment. Look at what we caught. Somebody offered me 20 bucks for that because they said they could cut through and, and the material that was in there was worth at least 50. So I said, you can just have it. And then he offered me some fish. And I said, We've had, I don't know what to do with fish. I've been throwing them back and feeding the sharks. I think we're good. <laughs> you know, I was out there. We didn't know. We were out there for four or five hours. It felt like about 30 minutes. We were having such a great time together, me and my son. And he, the reason that he's so happy here is he's spending time with his dad. He, he doesn't care what's on the line. He's spending time with his dad. And there's something about the triumphal entry. There's something about Palm Sunday that I think relates to this. Is, is knowing where to put our hope. Knowing to put our hope in the relationship of the one that's standing beside us. Instead of in whatever the outcome of whatever the our career, whatever the outcome is that we're expecting in our life. First Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Wow. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Remember, hope that is seen is not hope at all. It's already been revealed. Jesus has been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is consistently revealing Jesus Christ to us. But we haven't seen Him yet, have we? We haven't fully seen Him. For when we fully see Him, we'll, we'll have a total different uh, understanding, a complete, a fuller knowledge of who He is. Right now we see dimly, darkly, as in a glass, but then we will see Him face to face. So our hope is, is fulfilled in some ways because we have the Holy Spirit and yet there's, this, there's an edge, there's a part of our hope that has not yet been realized. We're hoping for a day that's coming. We're hoping for a kingdom to be fully realized. We're hoping for heaven and we're living here on earth. And in the meantime, the focus of our hope has to be on our relationship as Brother Nixon shared last week. I want to look at all four of the Gospels with the triumphal entry story, the Palm Sunday story this morning. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 4 and 5, it's telling us that all of, of this crowd of disciples were, were following Jesus. And Jesus had sent a couple of his disciples ahead to grab a donkey so that he could fulfill the Old Testament. And so in, in verse 4 and 5, it's just saying that. You know, he sent them in to fulfill the prophecy that said... Verse 5, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now this is both touching to Isaiah 62.11 and Zechariah 9.9, which in the hearts of the people, they're awaiting a king. Okay? That's the, their line is down in the water and they're hooked on something big. They're ready for their king. They cannot wait for their king to come. And so when he's going to fulfill this prophecy, in their mind they're triggering, yes, we want a king. We want to overthrow this, this rule that's happening right now. We want a new leader. We want to be in charge. And we want to have you help us be in charge. Okay. They wanted a coup. And, and Jesus 
you know, he's, he's playing into this a bit. He knows what their expectation is. He knows that's not what he's come to do, but he knows this is the expectation because if you're only looking at a narrow part of the prophecy, instead of the suffering servant, you're seeing the kingdom come. And they're looking for this king. So he fulfills, he intentionally fulfills this part of the prophecy. Now most of the crowd, verse 8 in Matthew 21, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. That's where we get Palm Sunday. And the crowds that were before him, that followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Exuberant praise for this man who's coming as their king. But I wonder, are they excited about him coming to have a relationship with him? Or are they excited about him coming because he's going to change the outcome of their world? Whatever's on the end of that line is about to change. Their story is about to change. Not because of a relationship, but because he's going to institute a new kingdom and a new rule, and they are going to be the ones who are ruling. So they're excited for him to come, but I'm not sure their motives are really pure at this point. Matthew 21, again. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So he has this whole entourage following him. And, and the whole city is being stirred up. People are coming out of their houses. People are saying, who, what's happening? What is this, all this noise? What is all this ruckus? Hey, look who we have. We have the kingdom. The kingdom's coming. Our lives are all going to change. It's all going to be different. Put your hope in, about what, in what's about going to happen, you know? All this time we've been waiting for him to come, and he's here. Now it's all going to change. All of our stories are going to change. Our status in society is going to change. Our wealth is going to change. Everything's going to change. Now let's look at Luke's account of this story. Chapter 19, verse 37. It says, As Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Well, what had they seen? They had seen Jesus doing miracles. In verse 38, it says, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What are they wanting? Peace and glory. From the dictatorship, from the Roman rule, from the oppression of the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law, from all of the oppression that's happening in their life. We, we need peace. Peace on heaven and here's the man that's going to bring it right now. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them. And he answered, verse 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So Jesus is not correcting the celebration, is he? He's not putting an end to it. He's not saying, hey guys, calm down. You know, within a week I'm going to actually be crucified. He's allowing them to experience this hope. He's allowing this moment to happen. In fact, he's intentionally sent out to get a donkey to fulfill the scripture that the king is coming. He's letting them have this moment of excitement. And the, and the Pharisees are like, look, man, you can't be letting them praise you like this and get all excited that the king is coming. Tell them to be quiet. And he's like, no, mm -mm. this is a big deal. This is a big, they don't have the full picture yet, but it is a big deal. And if they wouldn't be cheering for me, even the rocks would be crying out. So all this to do. Uh, and John says, in John's account, that they had come out to him because he had just 
perform this miracle of calling Lazarus forth. In John's account, it says that you know Lazarus being dead, multiple days, f- final death. I mean, there's no chance that he was just sleeping. He's in his burial clothes. He's been in the, the tomb. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And all of these people that are in this triumphal, triumphal procession, many of them have been eyewitnesses to Lazarus coming forth. So they're so excited. This guy has the power to raise the dead. Nobody else is doing that. This is the king. They've gone and told their other friends. That's how this whole procession got started. Lazarus coming forth was kind of what kicked this off. So all of these people are following him in Jerusalem, waving, putting their cloaks down, waving the palm branches, and here he comes. He's coming to the temple. He's coming to the temple. And Mark eleven eleven, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That's it? That's the end of this whole triumphal procession? We've all come out, we've put our cloaks down, they're all dirty now. You know, we've made a big to-do, we've hollered, we're hungry, we're hot. I imagine some people were disappointed. In Mark, it just says that he, went, he came into the temple, he looked around, and then he left. Much ado about nothing. It's, it's that weight on the end of the line. Here comes our king, here comes our king. Oh, he's coming to the temple. He's coming to the temple, guys, guys. Come on, come on, come on. That's it. He, Jesus? Jesus, were you... Were you going to... Did you want to put your kingdom in? You're going to go, okay. Tomorrow? Are they disappointed? Probably. They probably are. Have you, have you ever been on the line with Jesus, reeling in a promise, and you're just so sure that you know exactly what it is for your life? He's spoken to you so clear. I mean, you're just, oh God, this is good, this is good. When this comes up, it's going to change everything in my world. And Jesus is like, I'm just enjoying being here with you. And I want you to enjoy being here with me. Yeah, but Jesus is a big one. Oh, this is the one I've been waiting for. I'm going to change my status. I'm going to have power. I'm going to have influence. I'm going to have what I needed, what I've been lacking. Jesus is like, I'm good just with you. And, and I want you to just be good with me. Right, right, right. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Oh, geez, this isn't, what I, this isn't what I've been praying into. This isn't what you told me. Just... You know, the, as Christians, we're constantly trying to hear. We're constantly trying to obey. But we get it wrong sometimes, don't we? We get it wrong and our self gets in there. And, and as we got that thing on the hook, we're thinking about how big this story is going to be. We're thinking about how this validates all of our concerns. How this changes our story a bit. And makes us a, a, a bigger believer or a better Christian. Or somehow it, it changes our status with God or with the community of Christians. And, and God's like, I'm just not into that. You know, Palm Sunday is an invitation for us to walk with Jesus, not in the expectations that others would have for us to be great, uh, a success, or to fulfill some desire that they have for us. It's an invitation to, to know about what other people want and yet to do only the will of the Father. It's to come in and be able to look around and say, 
But I'm not here to, to establish my kingdom. And to go away and to be alone with the Father and His disciples. Palm Sunday isn't the triumphal entry that everybody wanted it to be. What it is, it's a little disappointing for them. This whole crowd that is left like, what? Now, true, later that week, he's going to come and turn over the money tables, and he is going to cause some ruckus in the temple. But by the end of the week, he's going to be crucified. So imagine if this was disappointing for him to leave the temple without making a, a big scene. How much deeper was their disappointment while they watched this king be crucified? Sometimes God has to crucify our hope so that He can be the only thing we're anchored to. So on, on Palm Sunday, it's an invitation to transition our hope from power, position, and privilege, the things that the people wanted Jesus to have. And if he had them, guess who else was going to be recipients of them? They were, right? Because this was the Jewish king. This was the Jewish rule. This was their people. This was their world being set on the top. And instead of those three words, power, position, and privilege, or prestige, to place our hope in in a relationship with Jesus the person and to just have fun because he's beside us and whatever we pull out or whatever he entrusts with us we're smiling as big as my boy because we're with Jesus we're fishing with our daddy we're fishing with our father we're walking this path with him he hasn't left us or forsaken us and no matter what is changing or going on in our world no matter what the outcome of our career path or our uh, relational struggles, no matter what's going on in our world. If Jesus is with us, we have hope. We have hope. And sometimes Jesus lets those other things come to not to test our, our relationship. Just be like, are you good with, are you still good just with me? Do, do you need a big church? Do you need a big ministry? Do you, do you need success at, on, on your job? Do you need other people to know that you have power, position, and privilege? Or are you okay if they look at you with disappointment, but I look at you with satisfaction? Amen. Now we come to the New Testament. So I think as we, look, as we just review that story real quick, it's really a story of disappointment for people's hopes being placed in outcomes that weren't ready to happen. And I guarantee you that if you reflect on your life, or you may be in a, a moment right now where that's happening to you. That's happening to you. Something is just not going the way that you really thought from God. And this isn't just yourself, but you really thought from God it was going to happen. And, and friends, I want to speak a word of encouragement to you that that doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. That doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. What that means is God is entrusting you with this closer relationship. Amen. And He's letting something die so that He can be closer with you. It's okay. He's letting something be disappointing so that you'll turn closer to Him. And if He thought you weren't going to turn closer to Him, He probably wouldn't trust you with this, right? Because the end of this goal for Him is 
you closer with, with Him. There's more of Christ and less of us. And there's something about this breaking. When we're losing power, we're losing prestige, we're losing position, we're breaking open. The expectations of others being thrust on us, but God says, I don't want you to fulfill them. This is not that time. And then all of these people are having a moment with their God, the Heavenly Father. Right? They're having to go back, and what are their prayers like? Imagine this, this husband and wife who's come out to, to see a better life for their kid, and it's kind of a pure desire. All parents have it. They want their kids to have a better life. And this couple had come out, and they're part of the procession for Jesus to become king, and, and really they want this for their next generation. What's their conversation as they go home that night? And they talk. You know, people in the Bible were going through the same types of things that we go through. And what, what I'm encouraging us in today is that, friends, we don't have to have it all worked out. And sometimes when we have it worked out, it's not really worked out. So just rest with it. Just relax with it for a minute. And turn to Christ in a deeper relationship. And it will begin to make sense. Now, in Ephesians 1.18, Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. And, and this is for all of us here today. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. For what reason? So you may know hope. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be open, stretched, broadened, enlightened. Because sometimes our hope is too narrow. We, Jesus, we need you to provide this outcome for us right now. And if it doesn't happen, I don't know if I'm missing you or if I've done something. Just relax. Relax with all the if-thens. You're walking with God. You're good there. Spend time with Him. It could be this outcome. It could be this outcome. God, enlighten. Enlighten. Expand the eyes of our understanding. It could be any of these. Out God could answer it in any of these ways. You see how broad this is? It doesn't have to be this. God could answer our prayer in any of these ways. And guess what? He's still God. He's still good. And He still loves you. And He's doing what is best for you in that situation. Paul says, pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Let's loosen our gaze. Let's broaden our gaze a bit and not confine God to one thing. You know, I think half the reason that the Pharisees were mad at Jesus is he didn't dress like them. You know, they're all dressed to the nines and, and he's coming dressed like a, the disciples. Right? And that just got him in a bad way right off the bat. Why is this guy teaching the word? Jesus says, look, you need to broaden. Broaden. I came from heaven. I was up there when you were born, so relax. <laughs> I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, open, broadened. We need to broaden it. Not from the Word. We're never going to broaden our gaze so far that we're pulling in other people to tell us how to, how to follow God that isn't based in Scripture. Nah, that's too far. That's too far. We don't need to be that kind of Christian. We need to just stay in the confines of the Word, but give God the opportunity to expand our understanding so that we can trust that, God, You were good, and You love me, and whatever I thought was going to happen that wasn't that big fish, that wasn't that big career move, that wasn't that big ministry or that big uh, thing in my family, big financial blessing, whatever it was, that I, I still have You. And because I have you, I'm good. I know the hope. See, that's knowing the hope. Everything else, our hope, and all of the world looks at hope this way. They say, if my life is going well, if things are going well, then I can have hope. 
And so they look at how they can get in charge. How they can put their guy in the White House or gal. How they can be, how they can have the person who, who's going to write the most things in their world in this life. And Jesus says, look, that's just not my end goal. There's a new heaven and a new earth. It's not about creating your hope. It's not about infusing your hope into this world. It's about walking with me. I am your hope. Paul says, open the eyes of your heart that you may know, know the hope. Brother Nixon said, the indwelling spirit that's telling you, Abba Father, it's crying out, Abba Father, that spirit inside of you that's reaching out, the deep calling to the deep. Yes, I am a child of God. Yes, he does love me. Whatever's on the end of this line, no matter what, God, you love me. My hope is not in what, where you're taking me. My hope is in the one who's guiding me. Know that hope. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope. Not just a little bit, but you're overflowing with hope. What does that look like? What does that life in Christ look like to overflow with hope? Meaning that just, just like on the deck, you know, Lucas, my son, and I, we had hope that we were reeling in something. Somehow that was contagious. Because other people, there was enough ruckus happening there that other people came and their hope mixed with our hope and there was this big deal. Christians that overflow with hope in a hopeless world kind of create a scene. Christians that, that are able to, to smile and to laugh and to have hope and even in the midst of, of hard times are able to, to know that this, this, whatever circumstance or situation they're in isn't the end of their story. They can overflow with hope. How? Listen how. Listen how. Not by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. Not by saying, okay, I'll put a smile on my face. But listen. Paul says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overflow with hope. Well, pastor, you just don't know my situation. If you knew my situation, you'd understand why there's not a lot of hope. If you knew my marriage, if you knew my relationship with my children, if you knew my relationship with my parents, if you knew my financial condition, you would know why I'm not overflowing with hope. If you knew what was going on in my ministry or in my church or in my world or in my job or on my career path, if you know who's wronged me, if you knew what I was dealing with, you would understand why I'm not overflowing with hope. And to be honest with you, there's a place for that empathy. There's a place for us to say, you know, I'm sorry that that's where you're at right now. But I guarantee you, no matter what you're in, Jesus is still with you. He's still beside you. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, not, not you working something up, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, He can speak hope to your heart without changing anything in your life. He can speak hope to your heart without changing any circumstance that you're facing, without changing any outcome right now, with, without giving you anything else but just that call, deep calls to deep. The deep calls to deep right now, just boom, right into your heart. You are my child. I love you. I chose you. I sanctified you. 
I justified you. I set you apart. I called you as holy unto myself. I breathed my life into you. And I called you my own. I adopted you. And by that same Spirit, you can talk with me. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. God knows this isn't your forever home. He doesn't have to fix your, for your temporary place. He can just invade it with hope for what's coming. It's in a person, and that person is coming back. There's going to be a second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's going to call all of those with the Holy Spirit to Himself. And we're going to be in a new realm and a new forever place with God, our Heavenly Father. So no matter what we're facing right now, no matter what we're expecting God to do, no matter how we've been disappointed, even sometimes with God, He can still come and overflow in your heart with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of His own Spirit, He can speak life and hope to your spirit. Amen? Amen. I'm going to just read some scriptures over us this morning. I'm just going to go through them pretty quickly here. And just let your heart be encouraged by the Word of God. How many of you know that Jesus is the Word? The Word is living and active. And I'm going to pray that it just touches your heart this morning. Psalm 31, 24. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in His word I put my hope. Psalm 33, 20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 62, 5. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Micah 7 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Lamentations 3 26. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 40 30 and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. Amen? Amen. Father, we just commit this word to you. Lord, I thank you for each person here and those that are listening and are watching online. Lord, I pray that no matter what is happening in their life, no matter what hopes have been um, come forth in their heart, no matter what desires have expected fulfillment, and maybe come up as disappointments, Lord, that we, you, you would give us the, the eyes of understanding to realize it's just to cherish the relationship with you. The side by side, you're with us the whole time. That outcome doesn't determine our life. If we were disappointed by something that happened, it doesn't determine our worth or our value. You determine that. By the precious blood of your son, you've adopted us as your sons and daughters. Now we're royalty. We're sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, I thank you that you would just continue to heal any, any of our disappointments. And bring understanding, broaden our understanding, so that we can know the hope that you've called us to. The glorious riches of the saints in Christ Jesus. Thank you. I, I bless these people here. I bless, we bless your word. Thank you for your word. May it go forth and accomplish all of its purposes in Jesus' name. All God's people said.
Amen. Amen.